We'll be reading this morning in John chapter 1. John chapter 1, good to see you this morning. So let me just tell you what happened. I told Sunday school class about a little bit of this this morning, but uh, sound checking Brother Garrett this morning before Sunday school, and we had a few technical difficulties. So I said, well, since you know the other two guys up there weren't there during the sound check, I wanted to be up there when we started his song just to make sure everything was working and all that. And I thought, well, then got to run down here real fast. Danny, it's always so helpful, Danny Fitzpatrick, you all know how helpful Danny is. He uh, offered, he suggested that I should have a zip line from up there. Now, I hope the Building and Grounds Committee doesn't get any, any ideas. You know, it'd be a lot faster, but there's several nurses in the building. We'd have needed some of y'all. And, uh, but anyway, uh, that's why I came walking in during the middle of the song uh, this morning. But we'll be in uh, John uh, chapter 1. It's amazing how uh, God puts everything together. And, uh, of course, I had no clue until this morning what Brother Garrett was singing. He has no clue what I'm going to preach about this morning. And so, but uh, you'll see as we uh, go through the text this morning uh, just how all of it comes together. Uh, but isn't this beautiful, this set? And uh, the folks uh, did a great job on this, and they've even added some to it since the last time I looked at it. And uh, it just looks like a good down-home country Christmas, doesn't it? And uh, I'm thankful for that. Love the tree all lit up. And I love Christmas time. Maybe cliche to say it's the most wonderful time of the year, you know, but uh, in a lot of ways it is. And so many great traditions around Christmas. And uh, just recently I saw an article, I, and I, so I clicked on it, I was reading it uh, from the Smithsonian Magazine. I don't make a habit of reading the Smithsonian Magazine, but I did see this article and I thought it was interesting because it was about the history of the Christmas tree, you know? I mean, uh, pretty interesting to know how that became a part of our day tradition. <clears throat> so, apparently, in the year 1841, all right, over across the pond, as they say, over in, uh, in London, over in the uh, uh, United Kingdom, uh, Prince Albert, of course, the husband of Queen Victoria, he was of German descent. And in 1841, he put up a Christmas tree. It's something that he had brought with him from his German heritage, something that had been popular in Germany since the days of the Protestant Reformation in about the 1600s. And, and Al, uh, Albert brought that uh, to Britain, and uh, from there it just uh, it became very popular in that area, and then it began to spread in the United States. I thought this was interesting. You know, today it's a big deal. They decorate the White House, and they'll even have these TV specials, you know, about the Christmas decorations at the White House. I've never watched one of them, but I've seen them, that they have them. But um, in 1856, President Franklin Pierce was the first president of the United States to put up a Christmas tree in the White House. And, you know, when you think in the grand scheme, I mean, 1856 sounds like a long time ago, you know? I mean, other than Mac, I don't know if any of us were alive then. Oh, wait. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. He, he remembers seeing it in the newspaper. But anyway, so then the kids are saying, what's the newspaper? You know? <laughs> and so, but uh, that was the first time that a Christmas tree had been put up in the White House. So you see, as far as world history goes, 1856 is relatively recent, you know? And uh, tr uh, traditionally, though, 
uh, in the Protestant Reformation, I mean, Christmas trees has been around some before that, but they begin lighting them. They put, uh, they, of course, they didn't have electric lights like we've got here on this pretty little tree, like you've got at home. The trees certainly didn't come from Walmart. They were real, and they were not pre-lit. And so they put candles on the trees. And, of course, that's a fire hazard. And so around 1884, uh, matter of fact, it was in the year 1884 that Edward Johnson, he was a co-worker of Thomas, uh, I thought it was Thomas Jefferson, but it was Thomas Edison. And uh, you're going to need all this at your next trivia night, I promise. Uh, but Edward Johnson, this co-worker of Thomas Edison, strung together some electric lights. There were 18 on the strand. And they put them on a Christmas tree, and they displayed them there in the store. And they said people came from all over. There's even a, an article in major newspapers about this beautiful Christmas tree that had these electric lights. But by the 1930s, Christmas lights were widely available, uh, not quite in the format we have them today, but uh, electric lights on strings by the 1930s. And uh, now this article that I was reading was originally published in 2016, so it's a few years ago, okay? But by that time, the article said that an estimated 150 million boxes of Christmas lights are sold every year. There's 300 million people, give or take, in the United States. So enough boxes of Christmas lights sold every year that every other person could get a box. That's a lot of Christmas lights. Now, I have a love-hate relationship with Christmas lights. Love the thought of having Christmas lights around the roof line. Some of y'all do that beautifully. You know I don't do heights. One year when we lived in Magnolia, I think I hired Trenton to come get on my roof, and I supervised from below, and he put the lights around there. Oh, finally broke down, spent the money. They're beautiful for about a week. And then sections started going out. I eventually just unplugged them long before Christmas came along, you know. And some of you probably have experienced the same thing, but, you know, Christmas and light go together. You know, we, we do that. We uh, were down in Hainesville back a week or so ago and had to drive by that. Y'all probably know who it is, can name their name. I don't know who they are. The, there's a yard down there. It's got a bunch of lights in it. And uh, we had to drive by and see that. Drove by a couple times, you know. Uh, Mary and I went on our very first date up to the Christmas lights at Garvin Gardens. Love Christmas lights. Christmas and light are synonymous. But, you know, light's been associated with Christmas long before Thomas Edison's buddy strung together some lights. And I, I, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, yeah, light and Christmas have been synonymous ever since the angels appeared in the sky and announced to the shepherd, you know, glory to God in the highest. It says, you know, the glory of the Lord shone around them. But light and Christmas have been affiliated since longer ago than that. And you say, well, you know, we talk about the star, oh, beautiful star of Bethlehem. Longer ago than that. Just how long have light and Christmas been associated with each other? We're going to look in John chapter 1 this morning, a familiar text, and we usually, when we look at this, we focus on another aspect of this text. There are four months' worth of sermons, at least, in what we're about to read. You're not going to get but one of them this morning, all right? John chapter 1 beginning in verse 1, read this with me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, 
and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He, meaning John, was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your written word that we have here in our hands today that we can read and that we can study and that we can learn more about the living word, Jesus Christ. I thank you that during this season, we place a special focus on his coming. I pray that it would be on our hearts all year long. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us this morning as we study about this light. I pray that it would uh, just illuminate our hearts and allow us to be receptive of the things you want us to hear this morning. I pray that you'd give me the words to speak. And uh, Father, I pray that that uh, every person here would receive the individual message you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. How long has light been associated with Christmas? Well, according to John, since before the beginning of time. As we look at the Christmas narratives, the different Christmas narratives uh, in in the different uh, Gospels uh, in December, you know, John is not really... Uh, a traditional Christmas narrative. He, he doesn't give an account of the birth of Jesus. He doesn't give uh, the list of the genealogy of Jesus like Matthew does. But we love this verse. As a matter of fact, somebody yesterday told me, said this verse 14, said that's one of my favorite verses. I love that verse. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, we're not going to go in deep into this whole thing about Jesus being the Word. But that's what John calls him first. In the beginning was the Word. Up until this point, the only real knowledge that uh, they had of this one who was promised as the Messiah is just what they had been told, the things they had been told by the prophets, the things they read in the Scriptures. That's all they knew of the Messiah. That's all they knew of God. And there's nothing wrong with that. Because Paul, writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, speaking of the Old Testament Scriptures, because that's all they had as Paul was writing, he said, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. What's he say it's profitable for? Doctrine. Doctrine is the things we need to know about God. Paul said the Scriptures... 
the Old Testament, that's profitable for doctrine. That's all they had at this particular time when Jesus came into the world. But now, John says, they don't just have to read about Jesus. They don't just have to be told what the Scriptures say about Jesus. They get to experience Him in the flesh. This Messiah who would come, John says, we experience Him. We beheld His glory. And in doing so, we beheld the glory of God Himself. See, now we not only get to experience God from the Scripture, we get to experience God in person, John says. But there's something we need to know about His human form. We need to know something more about who Jesus is. And in verse 4 of John chapter 1, he says, In Him, in Jesus, was life. And His life was the light of men. John says, I want you to know something. You're looking for light. Here it is. In human form, Jesus Christ. And, and that gives us a whole other picture that we'll look at this morning. There's something I want you to see here. There's something that you can see it in the English. It, it, apparently, according, I don't read Greek, but apparently, according to the books that I read about it, it says you can see this better in Greek. If you look at the grammatical construction of some of these uh, phrases, in verse 1, it says the Word was with God, listen to this, and the Word was God. He says, Jesus is God. You cannot separate Jesus from God, okay? Then we look down in verse 4. The life was the light of men. The life was the light. Same grammatical structure as the word was God. What John is saying is you cannot separate Jesus from the Godhead, and you cannot separate his life from the light that men need. The light of Jesus. When he was born, he brought a light into this world unlike any light man has ever experienced. A light that 150 million boxes of Christmas lights can't hold a candle to. Let's look a little bit closer about what John says about this light. He says, first of all, in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness. Now, you know, I have a dog, a German shepherd, and, and there's a lot of days, especially right now when it gets dark in the middle of the afternoon, that, you know, I look up and say, I need to go feed the dog, and it's already dark outside. Now, to be honest, this happens pretty much year-round. But uh, anyway, you know, it's, I say, I need to go feed the dog. And so I keep a flashlight by the back door so that I can go feed the dog at night. Now, on the occasions that I do feed him during the day, I don't take the flashlight with me because I don't need it, right? Because it's not dark. Jesus came. Jesus, the light, came because the world's a dark place. If the world wasn't a dark place, we wouldn't have needed the light. It says the light shines in the darkness. When John uh, talks about darkness, and he does here, he does in his epistles. We'll look at that in just a minute. But when he talks about darkness, he talks about the absence, or he's not talking about the absence of physical light. Darkness, in our most basic understanding, 
John means sin. Darkness refers to sin. Look over in 1 John chapter 1. We'll come back to the Gospel of John. 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, John says, this is the message which we have heard from him, meaning Jesus, and declare to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Wait a minute, I thought we said Jesus was light. No, remember what we also said back there from John 1.1? The word was God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Did you hear something? This isn't in my notes. But I want to just, I could go off and preach a different sermon, but I'm not going to. I'm going to point one thing out, and we're going to get back to the notes, all right? If we say, verse 6, we have fellowship with Jesus, with God. If we say we have, if we say we belong to him, and we walk in darkness, that's sin. We're liars. Now, when he says walk in darkness, he means that's the pattern of your life. He doesn't mean you messed up one time today. You, 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 the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all sin. I sin every day. But when we're sinning as a pattern of our life, John says we're lying if we say we're saved. Back to the notes. Wanted to point that out. Paul says there's a need for light. I mean, John. No, I said Paul. We're supposed to go to Paul. See, I'm getting Sunday school and sermons sometimes all goes together, right? Talked about Paul some in Sunday school this morning. But Paul also talks about the need for light in a dark world. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That's one of these markers, I think. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. That one. Like a lot of things Paul wrote, this can get real confusing. We're going to read it, then I'm going to tell you what it means, all right? 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants, For Jesus' sake, for it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of 
Jesus Christ. Let me simplify that for you. Paul says, lost folks can't understand the gospel. Foreign to them. God has blinded them to things. Lost folks can't understand some things about the gospel, lest the Holy Spirit convict them and show them their need for salvation. They've been blinded by the world. They've been blinded by Satan. He says, but for those who believe, God takes the blinders off. And then he makes a reference. Did you read that? Reread verse 6 one more time. Then we're going to go to Genesis 1. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of the darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's referencing creation. Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, stop for a minute. God has created the heavens and the earth. The earth is void and without shape. Essentially, at this point, there is no order to creation at all. You might could, could uh, explain the situation on planet earth at this point as chaos. And the very first thing God did to settle the chaos He said in verse 3, let there be light. And there was light. There was no order to creation. Chaos over the face of the earth. And the first thing he did was bring light to a dark world. I would submit to you this morning that on that day in Bethlehem that we celebrate on December the 25th, but who knows when it actually was, On that day in Bethlehem, there was utter chaos all over the world. And God sent the light to settle the chaos. There's utter chaos all over the world today. There is disorder all over the world today. And there is one solution for the chaos. If there's chaos in your life, there's one solution for the chaos, and that is the light of Jesus Christ. He sent light to shine in the darkness. Second thing that we see in verse 9. John chapter 1, verse 9. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. That The word there, the phrase in verse 9, gives light. comes from a Greek word uh, that is photizo, okay? It's one of the few Greek words that I could figure out how to pronounce it, photizo. It means to make known. It means to illuminate. You know, thinking back for a minute about the illustration I used about feeding my dog in the dark, and I take that flashlight with me. Now, I don't just take the flashlight with me. I turn it on. I push the button. I don't. A lot of times I do shine it up at the trees. And I, you know, sweep it across the front yard. 
But that's not the main reason I turned it on. I turned it on so I could see where I'm going, right? So that I can see the dog food when I get out there. So that I can, most of the time, he has taken his bowl and moved it somewhere else in the yard, and I have to have the flashlight to find it, to find where I'm going. Kind of what John is saying about the light. That the light is a guiding light. Jesus is a guiding light. He didn't just come to light things up. He came to show us where to go. What did John call Jesus in the very first verse? He called him the Word. What does David say about the Word of God? In 119th Psalm, verse 105, he says, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The Word of God, the written Word, the living Word. His job is to show us where to go. William Barclay says that without Jesus, we're like people on an unknown road in the pitch black dark, but with Jesus, the way is clear. Aren't you thankful for Jesus? Where does he show us the way to? Well, over in John uh, chapter 10, a few pages over, you don't have to turn there, verse 10, Jesus was talking, and he said, the thief, that's Satan. He doesn't come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I've come, Jesus says, that they may have life, and they may have it more abundantly. Jesus came to guide us to an abundant life. And the road there is not always easy. Matthew 11 quotes Jesus this way in verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We don't have to stumble through life, folks. We look to the guiding light of Jesus, and we see each and every step of the way. Last point this morning. Not only is he a guiding light, he's a revealing light. Look at John chapter 1, verse 10. He, meaning Jesus, the Word, was in the world, and the world was made through him, and, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him, despite the fact that the entire world was made by Jesus. Despite the fact that his birth had been prophesied for hundreds of years before he came. They were told hundreds of years in advance, he's coming, he's coming despite the fact that the Jewish people claimed to be looking for the Messiah. When Jesus showed up, they didn't recognize him. Even worse, they rejected him. The light of his presence revealed the true darkness of man's heart. Had he never shown up, it would have never revealed that they rejected him. There's good news, though. Verse 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
I love that. Starts with a little three-letter word that changes everything. A bunch of them rejected Jesus. But as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. Just a page or two over, John quotes Jesus putting it this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He quotes Jesus this way in John 8, 12, where they preached on this not long ago. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but he'll have the light of life. Greatest gift the world has ever received. Better than anything that could ever be put in a box under a Christmas tree. The greatest gift the world has ever received came on that very first Christmas in Bethlehem. They wouldn't have had a Christmas tree. They certainly wouldn't have had lights, candle, or electric around such a tree. They wouldn't have Christmas light displays they could go look at and drive through and say, oh, how beautiful they are. But they had the light of the world. They had the light of the world as he made his grand appearance. And he came for one reason. He said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save those who are lost. He came because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. He came because you deserve to go to hell, and I deserve to go to hell. And without him, that's exactly where we'd be headed. We prepare for our invitation this morning. I want you to remember what Paul said. Paul said in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. What you and I have earned because of our Sin is hell. We deserve nothing better than to spend eternity in hell. But the rest of that verse says, the gift of God. Well, we love gifts at Christmas. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. But Jesus. Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The Christmas story starts in Bethlehem. And it ends on a Roman cross. Don't ever forget that. Don't get so caught up about the baby that you forget the purpose of the baby. Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart God's raised you from the dead, you'll be saved. Verse 13 says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. There's a light shining from the manger. There's a light shining this morning. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that light is pointing straight at heaven, straight at Jesus. The light shows us how to get there. His name is Jesus. This morning I asked, do you know him? That's the invitation. If you don't know him, would you come to know him today? Would you not leave this place today without knowing 100% sure that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? There's nothing more I'd rather do than stay here all day talking to people about how they can be saved if that's what we got to do. The rest of you can go home.
I'll stay here and talk to people about Jesus. Would you make sure you know beyond a shadow of a doubt this morning where you'll spend eternity? Let's stand as we sing. Number 160.